the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Thanksgiving week, and let's begin by remembering so much that we have to be thankful for. We who are believers in Jesus Christ ought to be the most grateful, the most joyful people on the face of the earth. We want to thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I'm Ron Arbaugh. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com where you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free and you'll be connected to our studio producer. Hey, uh, just a couple of programming notes and scheduling notes. Tonight, we normally have our Monday night men's, women's, and youth Bible studies. We have taken uh, this week off for Thanksgiving week, so uh, no Bible studies tonight. Uh, And then this will be a short programming week, at least for live programming anyway. Uh, on Wednesday, I'm sorry, on Thursday and Friday, uh, we will not be live on the program. The station is closed down for the Thanksgiving holiday, and you will be getting a repeat broadcast. So keep that in mind. Uh, that way you can call or send in your questions between now and through Wednesday's program. Okay, let's get right to a bunch of questions. We've got a bunch of them. Uh, let's first go to our first phone call. Ruben on line one from Seguin. Happy Thanksgiving week, Ruben. You're on the air. Happy thanks- Happy Thanksgiving week to you, too. Uh, thank you for taking my call, like always. Um, mm-hmm. Pastor Rod, I have a question uh, not so much about the Bible. Um, uh, have you ever heard of holistic healings and all that and uh, essential oils and stuff like that? Um, it, it, is it wrong to use essential oils? Yeah, I, I don't think so, uh, Ruben. And, and, of course, I've heard of holistic healing. I, I have nothing to offer in terms of of uh, the validity or the value of uh, holistic healing, uh, but no, there's nothing wrong with essential oils and and um, um, just you know, especially Reuben, if you're speaking personally, um, you know, you've suffered so much. I'd be just about willing to try anything that was legal. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I, yeah. I think I think you're you're on solid ground. Uh, go ahead and try stuff, but nothing is wrong with it. Okay, yeah, because it is true. Uh, I have a new provider, uh, and she, she, you know, she, yeah, thank God for that. And she's, uh, she uses, makes essential oils, and she said she was going to bring me some. And I said, I don't know, because, but, uh, 
Okay, yeah. I, that's all I wanted to know. You have a very happy Thanksgiving, and God bless you, okay? Thank you, Ruben. I will. I will. God bless. Here is a question from, this one is from Raul, from our email inbox. Uh, and he says, Pastor Ron, I've enabled my wife and children in many ways by allowing them to relax and not having to do much around the house. I'm the type of person that cannot sit down and I have to do something. I enjoy doing the cooking, cleaning, and washing clothes for the entire family. My family loves it, but I think I'm setting them up for irresponsibility and entitlement. Maybe I'm wrong, but is it okay that I'm doing this for my family? Raul, let me say two things. First, Paula and I might want you to move in with us. That would be just great. But you're never causing a problem when you're serving. Now, I want you to think about balance here. When you say you're the type of person that can't sit down, you always have to be doing something. There are times when the very best way that you can serve your family is to sit down with them and talk. Sit down with them and open the Bible. Sit down with them and pray. And I always worry a little bit about people that, that are always on the go and are always busy. Um, you know, we've got to learn to sit down with the Lord and be quiet. We've got to learn to sit down with our family members and listen to them. Um, you're in a perfect position because of your faithfulness in serving your family. Uh, you can sit down with your family and talk to them about your fears, uh, about setting them up for irresponsibility and or entitlement. Um, so, yeah, it's always okay to serve. That's a wonderful thing. But don't avoid or ignore the other responsibilities you have as a godly husband and father either. Um, Families need to communicate. They need to talk. They need to sit down and deal with issues in life. Uh, that The only way to do it is to, to invest the time. And if you're always on the move, that's really the one thing that gets sort of pushed out of the way. So, um, Raul, I, I, your, your heart to serve is wonderful, um, but just don't uh, avoid the other parts as well. Good question. Here is an anonymous question. Oh, this is actually from last week. Um, anonymously, Pastor Ron, let's pray for the city of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Not sure if you've been following the case of Rittenhouse. I understand some people see it as self-defense or intentional homicide. The city needs prayers. The verdict is coming soon. Now, obviously, the verdict has already come. Uh, one side would be affected. Uh, he or she says, I understand you have a right to protest, but some people plan to riot and cause more destruction. I believe protesting is the act of the devil, and there's so many people already gathering at the courthouse and beginning to fight and curse at one another. There is a spiritual battle going on. I just wish everyone can go home without anyone getting hurt, going to jail, or worse, losing their lives. Uh, Anonymous, I think one of the things that we can be grateful for is that the the rioting in Kenosha itself um, it failed to materialize. It was it was minimal at, at best, and you've got a lot of people yelling uh, from one side at the other side, and you've got a lot of rhetoric, uh, but, but literally th- there was almost no damage or rioting in Kenosha. Now, having said that, amazingly, still in Portland and in some other places on the left coast, um, there, there was rioting and people did get hurt and property was destroyed. And the reason is because there is lawlessness. And I think one of the things that we need to understand is that God is a God of justice. God is a God of laws and regulations. He gives us government to, to help us be safe. The government is supposed to do that which is right, and enforcing the laws is right. And I think this just demonstrates how far we have fallen in this country, how far we've fallen from God's ideal. This is what a citizenry ought to look like and how we ought to behave. And uh, lawlessness simply rules and reigns. I was reading on a, on a, on a related note, I was reading... Uh, that uh, uh, over the weekend in uh, Northern California, there seems to be a group of about 70 um, hooded bandits uh, who went in en masse and looted a bunch of stores, very expensive stores. They just went in and and, uh, smash and grab and terrorizing people, uh, and nobody's really doing anything. This is the kind of time that Paul described 
in Second Timothy chapter 3 that we live in right now in a country that has always prided itself on being a country of law and order. And it's, it's gone. So um, um, the, the verdict for Rittenhouse has come in. Um, people are going to just yell and argue. The division, the anger, the hatred is at levels I've never before seen. You know something that's interesting, and I was mentioning this to my producer just before the, the show went on the air. Um, I'm no longer a news junkie, but I used to be a news junkie. I mean, I'm a journalism major in college, and um, um, I, I've, I've been reading two newspapers a day since I was eight years old. Um, and and I, I just, I no longer can read the news. And yet today, on purpose, I was looking at the news on Google and some of the other things. And um, with all of the craziness that's going on in this world, including the accident, not the accident, the murder attempt, the murder uh, in Wisconsin at a parade, Christmas parade. Um, I have not seen a single headline or heard a single story about today marking the anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Think about that for a moment. November 22nd, 1963 is a, is a date that, that is locked in our brains and in our hearts for those of us who lived through it. And there's always a mention. It's like 2011. In fact, for my generation, it was the, the 9-11 uh, in 2001. I said 2011, but I meant 2001. Um, and I haven't seen a single thing. Because we're talking about the definition of fully vaccinated. We're talking about this horrible lawlessness. It's an amazing thing that we're living through. So what we need to do is pray for the world that we live in. God says it's good that when we live in peace, and certainly we're not living in peace now. So Anonymous, sorry I didn't get to this last week, but there were a lot of people, including me, praying for the, uh, the, the verdict in Kenosha. Here is a, an anonymous question, again, from our email inbox. Um, Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you give me the quick response of the rapture and tribulation process? You must know that I talk too much. I heard we will rule for a thousand years with Jesus against the enemy, with a question mark there. I don't understand that. After the tribulation of seven years, we come back to the world, and the ones who are saved can be thrown into hell. When thinking about this, I think of a Marvel movie. Thank you, Pastor. Um, you know, the only difference is this: it, it, it is kind of a Marvel movie, except that the one who will be in control is perfect in justice and holiness and righteousness. Here's the quick rundown on the rapture of the church and the timeline of our end times eschatology. The rapture of the church, Anonymous, can happen at any moment. Nothing else has to happen. When that happens, that believers, born-again Christians, not everybody who professes Christ, but people whose hearts have been changed. We, we always need to make that distinction between those who say they're Christians and those who are born again. So, those who are truly born again will be taken out of this world and we will be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Literally, we will be marrying Jesus for seven years. We will receive rewards. It'll be a glorious time for seven years. Now, remember, when I say seven years, that's according to the time here on earth. When we go to heaven, we're going to be outside of time and space. Then Jesus is going to come back. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. And he's going to come back. It's a cleansing project. He's going to destroy his enemies. He's going to establish his kingdom, the kingdom promised to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to David. Uh, he's going to establish his kingdom from the throne of David, where he will rule with perfect justice for a thousand years. And we, in our flesh and blood, but physically glorified bodies, will be rulers and reigners alongside him. What that means exactly, we're not told, but we will rule and reign with Jesus. After the thousand years are over, then there's going to be a reckoning called the Great White Throne Judgment. 
and all of the people who've rebelled against God, uh, those who have uh, died and been in torment, those who are alive at the end of the Great Tribulation but rebelled against God, they will be um, judged. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And uh, and they will be cast into the lake of fire where they will spend uh, forever and ever in torment. After that, because Jesus loves us so much, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be perfect. It will be magnificent. It won't be anything at all like a Marvel movie. It will be the most glorious time. It will be what God always intended. When he created Adam and Eve, in this world, and everything was perfect. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good over and over, and finally, God saw that it was very good. That's the way it will be again, and we will then forever be with Jesus. No more sin, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more evil of any kind. That's not a Marvel movie, Anonymous. So, that's as quick as I can do it, and uh, I hope that answers your question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a serious question. Hello, Pastor Ron. My question is about slavery in the Bible. I must keep this simple and professional because it is a puzzling issue to me. Slavery in the Bible is a slippery slope for me. This issue must be dealt with caution and compassion. Slavery today is a clear violation of human rights and dignity. It would appear to me that God would not allow slavery, and especially and especially slave girls, to be permitted. I know that slavery was a fact of life in the ancient world until the end of the American Civil War in 1876. I also know that it was not allowed, or I, I know now it was allowed under the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. This is my snapshot of the picture. Now, before I go to that snapshot, let me just say that slavery didn't end with the American Civil War in 1876. We have so many people in this world right now in slavery. And slavery now, just like slavery in the ancient world, and please hear this, slavery is not a race issue. Except for our shameful past in the United States. Slavery has never been a race issue. It has always been an economic issue. It's always been a sin issue. It's always been a power or control issue. The devil wants to control people. Clearly, those who were slaveholders, not just in the United States. Remember, in the Bible, slavery has nothing whatsoever to do with race. It's not black and white. People were enslaved by their own people, sometimes their own families, and certainly their own races. They did it because it was the only way they could make a living. They did it because they were born into slavery. They, they, there was all kinds of reasons for it. But we need to remember that slaves outnumbered free men in the Roman Empire four to one. And it was like that throughout the course of ancient history. Men, because we are sinners, have always, I mean always, tried to control other people to further our own interests. So I want that clear before I continue. Um, he says, in the Bible, God does not clearly condemn slavery, but at the same time, you can see that God does not encourage slavery. There's, that's another misstatement. Uh, God clearly condemns slavery. Uh, he always has and always does. Now, the question about why did God permit it uh, is um, a simple, uh, there's a, it's a question with a simple answer. God has always endured slavery just like he has endured every other sin. I don't know why that we have a tendency to think, well, okay, this slave or, or, or this sin of slavery is so terrible, God should stop it. But we don't talk about all of the other sins that God should stop. And by the way, he's going to stop all sin one day. So all sin is terrible. And God in his patience, while waiting for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, God in his patience allows these things to continue. But God never codified slavery in the law. What he did, and this is important for us, 
What God did was acknowledge the reality of slavery in the world. And from the beginning, God's instruction to those who were enslaved was purposeful in that he wanted them to be able to live their lives in as much peace as possible. That wouldn't have happened if God said, whether it's Old Testament or New, if God said, okay, rebel against your slave owners because slaves are wrong, people would have been, been murdered in mass. So please understand that God never condones slavery. He hates slavery. And the Bible never gives any sort of credibility or approval or even, well, this is just boys will be boys. Slavery is sin. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, uh, God makes it clear his feelings about slavery. Now, listen to these two verses, 9 and 10. We also, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. And here he lists them, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, and irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers, and perverts. And here it is, for slave traders. The King James uses the word men-stealers for slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In this passage of Scripture, it is clear that God condemns slavery and those who engage in it. And those are people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's that straightforward. So we have to have a view about slavery that is historical rather than emotional. Now, in case anybody is misunderstanding, and I know how the devil would love for this to be misunderstood, slavery that was perpetrated on Africans who were forced to come to this country or forced to come to England even before this country um, was a, a pure evil act. A pure evil act. And we still are reeling from the consequences of our sins, our national sins. But that has nothing to do with God. It's also equally clear that the fact that there were people who were professing Christians in the South, uh, uh, in this country, who tried to pervert and use the Bible to justify owning other men, knew nothing about the Bible. They knew nothing about God. They could stand up and they could preach and they could quote scriptures, but they didn't have Jesus' heart. They weren't born-again men because born-again men and women could not condone such thing. And again, I want to be clear. People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible goes out of its way in the New Testament to tell us that. So slavery in the world, God said, God could say, well, you know, that's, that's an attack on human dignity, and it is. But so too is sexual immorality. So too is homosexual behavior. So too is our, our, our nation. You want to talk about, uh, about attacking um, um, the God of the Bible. Um, God created us in his image, and we've got a, con- a culture in this country that is attacking not only human dignity, but the character and the nature of God by saying men can be women and women can be men. So we've got to look at things. We can't just pick out sins that are especially offensive to us. We've got to understand that God in his patience is allowing sin to reign in our world. But that time is coming quickly. That time is coming so soon when he's no longer going to do that and he's going to eliminate sin forever and we will be with the Lord in perfect righteousness and perfect justice. That's really important. I understand what an emotional doctrine, what emotional uh, subject this is for people. I happen to know the, the writer of this letter is a black man, a proud black man. I understand all of that. But when you understand the character, the nature, the heart of God, then you understand his true feelings about it. And one day, he is going to stop it all. He is going to stop it all. You know, often, and this is um, slightly off the context of slavery, but but um, related, I hope I can make that clear. Um, I get asked all the time why God doesn't judge this sin or that sin. 
Well, when God decides to judge sin, he has to judge all sin. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because here's what it means. It means that if God decided right now to judge sin and you had sex with somebody you weren't married to, that would include you. You'd be there with the sex traffickers. You'd be there with the, the perverts, the child molesters. You'd be there with the murderers. That God equated slavery with murder. You'd be right because God would have to judge it all. And often we don't think about that. We just look at a sin that's offensive to us. And we think, well, why does God allow that? The same reason God allows us free will. And God in his patience is still reaching out by grace to people like me who don't deserve it. So in the world that we live in, believe me, there are going to be consequences that come. There is going to be judgment. That time graciously is not yet, but it will be soon. And now is the time when we need to repent of our sins and get right with God. As Christians, we need to confess our part of it. And we need to let everybody know Jesus is coming. And he has an answer for all these things. Thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show and we'd love your calls i got some great questions that have been sent in but uh we'd love your calls at 340-9585 let's go to line one and talk with cindy from san antonio cindy good to hear from you Hi, Pastor Ron. I want to wish you and Mama Paula a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. I'm wondering if you would um, kind of expound on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. Um, one time when I read it, it really spoke to my heart that um, that if God wants you to pray for somebody that you know, and you don't pray for them, that you know, it's really bad. Well, it is, but. But but it seems to me like it's got to, those verses must mean more than just if if somebody needs prayer. So I wondered if you'd kind of expound on that a little bit. And again, I hope you guys have a wonderful day, and I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Let me read the verses, uh, Proverbs three twenty seven and 28. It says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it to tomorrow when you now have it with you. Uh, this is just action. James pretty much says the same thing. He says, be not just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And he talks about true religion. And I hate the word religion, but, 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 but religion is acting. Um, there are people that need help. and We've got the power to help it. What Solomon is saying um, and, and he does. He talks a lot about generosity. Uh, Proverbs chapter eleven. Uh, he says a generous man himself will be blessed by God. So, so the idea here is is to uh, to to take action on the things that we know that we're supposed to do. If we withhold something from someone who deserves it, let's just say uh, an employee, somebody that we hire, and we're looking for a way to cheat that person. Um, that that's pure evil. He says, when you've got the ability to help somebody, it's something that you ought to do. And for every one of us every day, it is within our power to do good to those who deserve it. Sometimes it's just a, a kind word. Other times, uh, maybe it's the, the homeless guy that, that hangs around your neighborhood. You see him from time to time. Maybe it's just giving him a meal or, or giving him enough money to go buy a meal. Um, just letting him know that God loves him and hasn't forgotten him. We have the power, the opportunity every day to do good things for people. 
And then he continues in the next verse, do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when you now have it with you. Um, you know, there's there's no value in intent. You know, James says, uh, uh, be well fed, and, and God bless you. It's not just about praying for people. It's about praying for people and accompanying that with the action that comes from a heart that really understands there are people out there who need help. Now, this is not, and again, I don't want to be misunderstood here, this is not a a command for us to give something to everybody that we see. The Bible also says we have to balance these things. If a man won't work, he won't eat. Um, And we we have to balance that. What's the heart of God? If somebody is mentally ill and, and, and holding a job isn't something they're going to be able to do, we still can take care of them. I don't think we have to surrender our streets to the homeless. There are so many Christians ministering to, to homeless people and people who are, 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 some of them by choice, but, but, but others simply because of circumstances. And we've always got to be willing to help. All churches, and ours is no exception, we always are given opportunities to minister to people. And there's always people in the body that needs help. When we can help, we do it. And we do it gladly. So here's the same principle that Solomon is talking about. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. I hope that helps. Here is a question from John from our mobile app. Hi, Pastor Ron. Is the devil locked up in hell or is the devil roaming the earth? The devil is not locked up. Um, when he is in hell in the great white throne judgment, uh, after the great white throne judgment, he will be bound there forever and there's no getting out. But right now, the devil roams throughout the earth. Remember in the book of Job, um, God questions the, the, the devil. You've been checking out my servant Job, haven't you? Roaming back and forth. And and Satan just admits, yeah, I've been checking him out, looking for an opening, but you've got him surrounded. You've got him protected. And then for some reason that we'll never understand till we get to heaven, um, the devil challenges God to, to let him have his way with Job, and, and God allows him to do it. But he is roaming the earth, prowling around, Peter says, as a roaring lion looking for the opportunity to devour people. So he is here. He is, according to the Apostle Paul, the prince of this world or the little g god of this world. In other words, when Satan um, uh, enticed Eve to eat and Adam then followed suit, um, Adam, who had control over the world, uh, lost control. And that that dominion, in effect, the title lead of the earth was passed over to Satan. And uh, he's been... Um, controlling the events in this world ever since. Um, remember, God is sovereign. God is in ultimate control. But in some way, it demonstrates God's power, his love, his sovereignty. Um, he's got Satan on a leash. But for us, it seems like a pretty long leash at times. But he is roaming the earth John, and he's looking for opportunities to devour. I tell the church here all the time that there's two groups of people that Satan is really, really focused on. That's brand new believers. He hates it. He hates it when people get saved. He wants to destroy. He's always been trying to kill babies, and he's trying to kill baby Christians. The other group is those Christians who are truly committed and submitted to the will of God in their lives. And Satan is never going to leave those two groups of people alone. The groups of people that Satan doesn't mess with, lukewarm Christians, Christians in profession only, he's already got them. He doesn't care. So, hope that helps. Here is our next question. This one is anonymous also. Uh, from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, what a great message yesterday. Um, and then parenthetically, by far one of the best, if not the best I've ever heard. God bless you, you're too kind. Um, I couldn't help but think, and I told my husband about it at lunch, why more people didn't come to the front of the altar. 
I felt so encouraged that my husband and I are living right. You know, Paula always says, Anonymous, I'm sure glad I checked my heart. I'm sure glad that I uh, repented of things before I came to church today. She says it's hard to come to Calvary Chapel if you're not serious about the Lord. Uh, So I understand what you're saying. And then uh, she continues, My heart was broken for the people who are not living right and had an opportunity to come up front to repent and receive prayers uh, from our wonderful pastors and their wives. This may be my emotional ways, (laughs) but I couldn't help but feel a little angry that this message about getting right with God uh, and people didn't respond. I believe there were people who confessed where they were standing, but I was thinking that maybe they don't want to get right with God. Please calm down my emotions, Pastor, because I am still emotional about it. Maybe I'm thinking about it from a fleshly way. Thank you. I don't think you're thinking about it in a fleshy way at all. And let me also say this. I think this is exactly the heart God wants in his people. Yesterday, and in, in, uh, I did the message three times, um, I was prepared for a lot of people to come forward. Uh, we, we started yesterday the book of Mark, and uh, John the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we talked about not only being right with God, but staying right with God. And in these last hours of these last days, uh, it's really important that we really keep short accounts with the Lord. And I believed yesterday. Now, sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes I'll give an invitation and tons of people will come forward. Yesterday, I expected tons of people to come forward. And really, there weren't a lot of people. And what that demonstrates is one of the things I pointed out in the message is that our hearts are hard. We're we're so lukewarm in many cases that we no longer have hearts that the Holy Spirit can pierce. I talked about people who know that God is speaking to them, knocking at the door of their heart, and they just refuse to open it because they don't want to change. They don't want to stop sinning. And whenever I do a message like that, I can feel the heartbreak of the Lord, and that's the heart that you're expressing here. So don't ever let your emotions calm down. Just pray for the people. Keep praying for them. Lord, let your spirit move. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that every person is going to stand before the Lord and give account of how they respond when they know the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. So, like you, my heart hurt yesterday. Um, And yet, every transaction is between the people individually and God. Doesn't matter to me. There's nothing in it for me if people respond. I don't think the message was better or worse based on how many people respond. I don't put little spiritual notches in my my belt um, when lots of people come forward. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just the messenger. I, I've told the church in the past, anonymous, that that uh, unlike the the and I'm, this is a little old school, but when I grew up, we had paper boys and paper girls. And they would deliver the newspapers. They would throw them in the, the driveway. And I, I said, you know, I never once had a, a, a newspaper boy who threw the paper and then came back later to make sure that I read it. Well, as a pastor, Bible teacher, I'm just the messenger. And it's not up to me whether people respond or not, nor is it up to you. But God wants your heart to continue to hurt. We should always hurt for the lost. We should always hurt for the disobedient. And I can promise you that yesterday, as just one example, there were a whole lot of people that the Holy Spirit was pleading with who didn't respond. So we had a very small response yesterday, but um, heaven rejoices over a single sinner who repents. And so there was a lot of rejoicing in heaven yesterday as well. But you're right, Boy, the, the, the spirit was thick in this place yesterday. And it was thick in conviction. And, you know, I think when that happens, people realize that, boy, i got to stop doing this. And I think there's just some people who aren't ready to stop sending it. And there's nothing more that can be done except we know that the Holy Spirit is going to chase them over and over and over. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Juan from our email inbox. 
How and what will Christians be judged on? Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we have bowed and confessed that already, will we be saying that again? Pastors mentioned that Christians will be judged and take account uh, for every sin. However, the Bible teaches us that Jesus will wipe away our sin or clean, or wipe our slates clean and forgive us for our past sins. That seems like a contradiction. Uh, it's not a contradiction. I think, I think we're just maybe not explaining it well with the pastors that you're talking about. Uh, everybody's going to be judged, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Now, for a lot of us, one, that confession will be a glorious statement of victory. Uh, I, I can just see me now with that, with with my knee bowed. Now, I'll need my new body to do that, but um, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, that that will be a glorious statement of victory. But for people that don't know Christ, that will be the most terrible time in eternity when they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. I always think of Saul of Tarsus when when uh, Jesus apprehended him on the road to Damascus and um, um, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul looking at him and saying, who are you, Lord? And that was spoken with holy terror. Um, he knew who he was. He just didn't want it to be Jesus. He knew he was the Lord. Well, that's what's going to happen on that day. You know, combining the question, your question one and the last one I just got, there's going to be a bunch of people who heard a message yesterday or, or wherever they go to church, and they didn't respond. They didn't give their heart to Jesus Christ. And they're going to stand in front of that same judge, Judge Jesus, and they're going to confess that though he is in charge, they're going to be judged and judged justly forever and ever. So, the judgment is either going to be glorious or terrible, depending on your position in Christ. Now, for those of us, and the part that sounded confusing to you, uh, when it says, we will be judged, you are absolutely right that all of our sins, as if we're truly born again, one, all of our sins are going to be wiped away. There won't be any, I like to think of the picture of the book of life, uh, my name is in there and all the horrible things I've done. He, he, he opens that book and every page, and mine will be a big book, every page is covered with the stains of his blood. Maybe he'll look at me and say, where are your accusers? I don't have any. And, and um, um, my sins are forgiven. But still, as Christians, we will stand before a different judgment seat. It's called Bema in Greek. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to stand and be judged for our works as to what quality they are. And on that judgment one, we're going to be judged whether the works were good or good for nothing. And the only decision there will be, do we get rewards for those works? For example, let's say somebody gave yesterday, uh, and I'll just use our church as an example. Let's just say that somebody gave... um, $100. And to them, that $100 was like the most money ever. And they did it because they loved Jesus and they just wanted to, to be a blessing to the Lord and to the church. They'll get a crown for that. They'll get a reward for that. But let's say somebody else gave a million dollars. They're so wealthy, they just gave a million. They could do it without even thinking about it, without even feeling it. And they did it just because they felt guilty or they did it for some other reason that wasn't to honor God. Well, there won't be any reward. That work will be burned up. So it's not quantity, it's quality of the work. And and we're going to be judged based on the quality of our work for Jesus, the motive, our intent, and we will be um, either Receivers of crowns or losers of crowns. But that's what we're going to be judged. But not for sin, because that issue, if you're born again one, has been resolved once and for all. Hope hope that unconfuses it. Thank you, Juan. Appreciate it very, very much. 
Here is a question from Jonathan. Uh, Since all of our sin is wiped away, is it okay to deny doing some of the things you did before meeting Christ? I'm very ashamed of the things in my past. You know, Jonathan, thank you for asking the question. That is an honest um, question. Um, All of our sin is wiped away. But the fact that we used to be those people, no matter what we've done, no matter how ashamed we are, we used to be those people. We can also rejoice because now we're a trophy for Jesus. We're not those people anymore. Paul talked about being the worst of all sinners, and yet he understood that he'd been cleansed from his sins. So, relative to being ashamed of the things that you've done in your past, you can turn that around by understanding that now who you used to be is a trophy for God who can make you into who you are now. So, don't do shame over the things you did. Just having repented of them, turn that shame into worship of Jesus Christ. This is Thanksgiving week, and I think people like you, Jonathan, and people like me, uh, who've done horrible things, things we're ashamed of, we can turn this into the greatest week of Thanksgiving ever. God, look what you've done. Now, the enemy is going to try to condemn you for those things, but remember, your past is now a trophy for Jesus Christ because you're not who you used to be. When Paul's writing to the churches in Thessalonica, he talks about all these sins, idol worship and sexual immorality and things. And then he says this, and such were some of you, but now. And that's a wonderful transition. But now you are justified, you are sanctified. And the same thing is true of you. You know, Jonathan, let me take a minute here. We've got nobody waiting on the phone and get really personal with you. I, um, Paula, in all those 13 years that she was praying for me, she was keeping prayer journals. And Paula is a pretty earnest journaler. I mean, she writes everything down. And um, we have now read together several times over the years some of those journals. And when I look at the pain that I caused her, when I see the sin that I caused her to stumble into, Paula almost became an alcoholic because of me. When I would be on my way home from work, she'd start drinking just to sort of mellow things out so that she didn't just, she was so dreading me getting home. When I see the sin that I caused her to stumble into, I see in writing, it's, it's dated, and I see the things that I said to her and the pain that I caused her. And the stress and even even the, the physical problems that she had as a result of, of the things that I did. Um, I mean, it's almost too much to bear. But now. And I always have to go to the but nows. But now. I look at what God has done. I look at the marriage that he's given us. I look at the way God has used us. I mean, I want you to think about something really silly, Jonathan. The way I treated her. All those years. Now, that same man and woman are doing marriage conferences all over the place. Very important. This is what God specializes in. And while we just kind of think, oh, no, I'm so ashamed of myself. God says, yeah, but that's who you used to be. You're not that person any longer. So, Jonathan, I hope that helps you a little bit. Don't do guilt. Here's a question to be last one of the day from our email inbox from Nicole. Hi, Pastor Ron. I love what you said about stillness at the beginning of the show. I'm one of those active people that struggles with staying still. I feel like Jesus is working with me to just be still and trust in him. After losing my dad in June and my brother last week, I fully believe he's working with my heart and telling me that be still. Uh, trust me. Thank you, Pastor Ron, for listening and following the voice of Jesus and being the beautiful example you are. We love you. Oh, Nicole, thank you very, very much. And I'm probably not the beautiful example, but I try to stay with Jesus. I think this idea of being still is so important. We live in such a busy world. You know, Nicole, when um, many of us, when we go to pray, we got our phones right there with us. Yesterday in service, I thought the message was really, really important. You should see how many people were looking at their cell phones. 
you know, might get a text. I used to tell the church, you know, God wants to talk to you today, and I'm pretty sure he's not going to text you, so pay attention. But but we've got to slow down. We've got to sit still. Jesus went away to be alone with his Father, and he would be alone all night. If he did it, how much more do we need to do it? So this is a personal discipline that we truly have to practice because it doesn't come natural to us. We're always on the go. We've got bells and buzzers at our new home. Every time you open the door, it goes ding, ding, ding. And I'm just thinking, can we cut out the noise? Well, it's just the world that we live in. People actually get frustrated if they text you. And I don't text, so don't text me. I can't see, so I don't text. But but people get frustrated. They text somebody and, and they don't get right back to them. We don't take our phones when we go to walk, with, be with the Lord. So God bless you. I'm so sorry for your losses. And I know the pain that that creates. But you're finding the answer is to sit with Jesus. Be still and know that he is God. That's not just a Bible verse that we put on a plaque or a refrigerator magnet. It's, it's something that we really have to practice. And it takes faith to do so. Tune out the noise in this world so that we can tune in the voice of the Holy Spirit telling us the heart of God. And then we'll sit and ask for directions. Okay, Lord, I want to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. If you're not sitting still with the Lord, you don't know what to do to obey. So we truly, truly, Nicole, need to practice the presence of God. Just be with Jesus is more than just a slogan. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate the questions. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember, on this Thanksgiving week, to think about the things you have to give thanks for, no matter your circumstances. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.